Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, as always, thanks for listening. Today, we're extremely fortunate to have two excellent surgeons returning as guests, Dr. Elizabeth Potter and Dr. Julie Sprunt. Dr. Potter is a board-certified plastic surgeon who received her medical degree from Emory University. She completed her plastic surgery residency at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center and her reconstructive plastic surgery and microsurgery fellowship at MD Anderson. Dr. Potter specializes in autologous breast reconstruction and has performed more than 750 DIEP flap surgeries. Dr. Sprunt is a board-certified fellow of the American Academy of Surgeons who specializes in breast surgery, treating all breast conditions. After receiving her medical degree from the University of Texas Health Science Center, she did her residency in general surgery at the University of Texas at Austin and completed a breast surgical oncology fellowship at the University of Southern California. Doctors Potter and Sprunt work as a team to treat breast cancer and then reconstruct a woman's breast or breasts. Today, they're going to update us on breast surgery and breast reconstruction guidelines in this time of COVID-19, as certain states have started to loosen quarantine restrictions. Dr. Potter, Dr. Sprunt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here. So Dr. Potter, I want to start with you because I know the American Society of Plastic Surgeons have released a new statement on what surgeons should consider before resuming reconstruction surgery. So could you talk about those a little bit, please? Absolutely. Um, I'm excited to say that the American Society of Plastic Surgeons released a really thoughtful set of considerations for surgeons as we begin operating in this um, time after COVID has become part of our new reality. Basically, the take-home point from that statement is that decisions really need to be made on a local and regional level. I think uh, the statement acknowledges that different parts of our country are experiencing this crisis in um, different times and to varying degrees. I think that that is going to be true going forward, and this statement allows for us as physicians to make good medical decisions for our patients if our local regional situation is safe to proceed with important surgeries, such as breast cancer surgery and breast reconstruction. The statement goes into great detail regarding the decision-making, but basically it boils down to talk to your doctor, and if your situation is safe local regionally, then there are ways to proceed safely. Okay. And Dr. Potter, I want to stay with you because I'm assuming this is really going to depend a lot on where a person lives. So if you're in New York City right now, it's probably unlikely you're going to get surgery, say, this week. But if you live in another place, like I know you told me before we started the podcast that you had done surgery today. So if someone is in the Austin area, they may be having surgery this week. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Depending on the area of the country that you live in, surgery may not be safe for you yet. 
And I know that your surgeons and your hospitals are working um, around the clock to make sure that as soon as it is safe that you can proceed. But it's important to recognize that various characteristics of this um, pandemic are going to affect who uh, can have surgery um, at what time. So for instance, what is the number of cases in your community? Is that rising or falling? Has the surge, we all heard that term, has it reached its peak? And um, does your community have all of the resources, staffing, personal protective equipment, beds, all of these things available to treat folks who are affected by COVID? You know, our hospitals are really complex systems and they can work with us to figure out exactly what they need to plan and uh, think ahead for COVID in your community. And once they have set aside those resources, and made assurances that that is the case, then there are ways to plan to move forward with other surgeries, even with elective surgeries. Okay. Dr. Sprun, I want to turn to you because the American Society of Breast Surgeons also issued updated guidelines on treating people with breast cancer during the pandemic. So could you talk about those and tell us what that means for patients? And again, I'll just, I'll ask this now up front too. I'm assuming that it will depend on where a person lives as well. That's it. And, And that really is the crux of the updated guidelines. It's become apparent around the country that certain cities are experiencing covid very differently and that utilizes resources locally in different ways. So the American Society of Breast Surgeons in their most updated guidelines really emphasized that these decisions and guidelines they set forth are based on your local resources. And so certainly if you are practicing or living in a city that has adequate resources, the goal of us as breast surgeons is to continue to treat breast cancer using the standard of care. If you are in a position where the standard of care may not be possible because you can't get safely to the operating room, fortunately, the guidelines set forth by the American Society of Breast Surgeons allow for safe treatment options that don't necessarily involve going to the operating room first. So a good example of that would be a postmenopausal woman with a strongly hormone receptor breast cancer. Those women could be put on an anti-hormone pill until availability or the resources allow for that patient to have surgery. Fortunately, that is a treatment strategy that has been utilized in other countries for some time. And so we have good data showing that that is a safe option. What has given me comfort with all of the guidelines that are out there is that when I read through those guidelines, I know that those are safe treatment strategies in patients. It may be different than what we did before COVID, but it is a safe treatment strategy based on some really good data. And so really the updated guidelines are allowing us as breast surgeons to assess our local resources and proceed on with standard of care treatment if we are able. If we are unable, then we can look to these guidelines to safely manage our patients in alternative ways. Okay, thank you. And Dr. Sprunt, I am going to stay with you. Since you both did surgery today, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about any 
extra precautions if those were taken or how, I guess, how was it? Because I have a feeling that's going to be a question on the minds of a lot of women who may be going in for surgery. You know, what are, what's going to be different? Like, what can I expect to be different? If anything, I don't, I don't know. So I asked, so I'll start with you, Dr. Sprunt, and then I'll ask Dr. Potter the same question. So there are differences. I am ensuring that almost all of my patients are getting preoperative COVID testing. Right now in Austin, we have fortunately adequate amount of PPE. And so far our prediction of bed utilization is, is manageable in a way that we can proceed on with surgeries. Having that issue addressed has allowed me to go back to the operating room, but I still have concerns about the safety of my patients and the safety of my operative team. And so doing preoperative COVID testing helps me understand and ensure that my patient is not an asymptomatic carrier and also helps me ensure that the operative team who is in the operating room helping me take care of patients has a, you know, as low of a possible risk of exposure to COVID as I can, you know, get with a negative preoperative testing. So most of my patients are either getting testing the day before by doing drive-through testing or the hospital is bringing them into a separate area getting testing. And as long as those results are negative, then they can come into the preoperative area. Certainly, we all understand that COVID is not going away. And so what we are all trying to do is adapt to the new normal so that we can limit exposures in the hospital and to healthcare workers. That is what will best enable us to continue to take care of women with breast cancer. Okay, thank you. And Dr. Potter, from the reconstruction standpoint, I know there could be drains there, you know, there's sutures, there's risk of infection. So are you advising people postoperatively to do anything differently? Sure. That's a great question. Um, I think that as um, Dr. Sprint alluded to, we, everything's kind of changed and it's, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but my entire preoperative, intraoperative, postoperative protocol has adjusted slightly. And that's just to keep all of us safe and to help avoid complications um, because of COVID. So as you brought up issues like drains, you know, my patients have learned to remove drains at home on video conferences with me and my staff. It's been amazing. Um, we also still do drain removals in person, but for some folks, they really want to minimize that in-person contact, and that's a great way to do it if they're comfortable doing that. Additionally, you know, the way that we have office visits has changed. We used to have a busy waiting room with lots of folks chatting and drinking a coffee and reading a magazine, um, and that is no longer happening. We have phone calls and we say, come on up to our office. You know, you're met at the door, screened and taken to your room. There are no, um, there's no magazines being passed around from patient to patient, and there's no waiting room social hour, right? So things have been adjusted, and it's a new normal, but it's going to be a good way to move forward safely. And I think it's, it's so important for our patients, for their families, for our country to move forward. And, um, you know, we just have to rise to the occasion and, and do it the right way. I think speaking of testing in particular, you know, that's a question that so many patients have posed to me recently, and I think that that's worth just a little bit of discussion. There are two types of testing. There's um, PCR testing, 
and then there are antibody tests. Currently, the test that we do before operating is the PCR test. That is the only test that is approved currently for a diagnostic test. That means it's the only test that can show me if you have or don't have COVID. In the future, the antibody tests are going to be a really important part of living with COVID and um, you know, developing strategies in our community. But currently today on April 27th, <laughs> Um, that is not the case. So antibody tests are great for helping our public health officials determine the prevalence of a disease in the community and determine how the disease is behaving. But antibody tests are not yet ready for prime time in terms of preoperative management. So it's the PCR test that we are performing. Okay, thank you. And Dr. Potter, I'm curious too, because somebody has surgery, recovers however long they're in the hospital and then goes home and then may come back to you for follow-up. Are you requiring any patients to have testing post-surgery to keep tabs on that? That's a great question. So currently our regimen is that we are doing symptomatic screening of patients before we see them in clinic. And we're educating our patients about, um, you know, just the general signs and symptoms of a, a, an infection with COVID, which include cough, shortness of breath, um, body aches, fever. There's some other ones, loss of smell, et cetera. But um, no, we are not planning on doing repeated COVID tests. And I think I can best explain that by saying the COVID test that we're doing now is really to protect patients in the perioperative timeframe and to protect the team, as Dr. Sprint alluded to. So that team of patients, especially our anesthesia colleagues who are, you know, right there with the patient and at most at risk from contracting COVID if that patient has um, the virus. So my interactions with a patient postoperatively in clinic, um, removing a drain or taking care of an incision, those are all things that I can do safely with a mask on. So both my patient and I will be wearing masks and I will wear gloves and do all of the hand washing and um, alcohol-based sanitization that we all do, but it is very safe to proceed with those things. Um, so no, I will not be requiring or performing post-operative tests on my patients unless they develop symptoms. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I, and really the only reason I ask is because as more information comes out, it seems a number of people were asymptomatic. So we don't really know how many cases there are in my mind, because there could be a lot of people walking around who never even knew they had it. So that's, that's why I was just curious about that. That's a great point. Um, and that is why, as Dr. Sprint said, we were doing this test because so many patients who would answer no to the questions, they don't have fever or chills or body aches. We would we would worry if they were if they were infected and didn't have symptoms that they might um, suffer after surgery. Um, so I think that the test that we're performing is to prevent operating on an asymptomatic patient. But I will tell you that I think the new reality in healthcare is that I assume that any patient that I meet in clinic could have COVID. 
So all of the safety mechanisms that we have in place are to keep us all safe. Okay. And Dr. Sprunt, I want to go back to you. So it sounds like from what you've both said that this is going to kind of be the new normal for breast surgery for a while. There could, you could be, if somebody's scheduled for surgery, they could automatically be asked to have a COVID PCR test before surgery is scheduled. And then the follow-up would be much the same way that we just talked about. It's, you know, a lot of hand-washing. Everyone wears a mask. Does that sound right? That is certainly what we are doing in Austin. And I think that is what a lot of big cities and hospitals are looking to do and planning to do. Um, And I think that that is the best way that we can try to go back to as normal as we can get or adopt, you know, adjusting to the new normal. Um, But certainly as far as taking people to the operating room and making sure that our patients are going to be safe after surgery and that the team is going to be safe, then some sort of preoperative testing with the PCR test would be very useful. Now, if and when antibody testing is ready for prime time, and unfortunately, I think that that is going to take more time, that then will help us understand who is acutely infected with COVID, who may have recovered from COVID and has antibodies, who may have never been exposed to COVID. And then I think that really will help us lift a lot of the restrictions. But until then, the hospitals, our offices, we as doctors have to you know, behave as though every patient we see may have COVID. And that does require more masks, more gloves, limiting patients, families, and visitors, both in our office and in the hospital. And that to me is, is it's a lot to ask anybody with breast cancer, unfortunately, to not have, you know, people spend the night with them in the hospital or, you know, certainly Dr. Potter and I are trying to send people home the same day of surgery instead of having them spend the night so that they can't have loved ones around and so that we minimize their exposure. So it does look really different right now. And I think it probably will for the next year or so. Fortunately, though, the care we will provide these women for their breast cancer is not going to be compromised by COVID. The experience is unfortunately going to be suboptimal, in my opinion, because we do have to limit the number of loved ones who are with you. And we do have to be wearing masks when we're having really difficult conversations. And that, to me, is is the biggest change I see in my practice right now. And that's going to continue for the next year in my, is my best expectation. Okay, thank you. And I'm assuming, too, that if a vaccine is developed, then I don't know, but perhaps then that becomes a requirement for surgery, that you have to show that you've been vaccinated against this. Does that sound right, Dr. Sprunt? I think that would be very helpful. I mean, I think the vaccine, we would just need a lot more information as far as you know, the effectiveness of the vaccine and and there would need to be a lot more information to go with that. But certainly if the vaccine is shown to be effective, then then yes, it would be very beneficial to vaccinate people prior to surgery. Okay. Thank you. And to wrap up, I'm going to ask you both the same question I asked you last time. So um, I'll start with you, Dr. Potter. Right now, what are the two or three things you want people to know, people who have been diagnosed with breast cancer and are waiting for surgery? Um, You know, obviously in places like Austin, surgeries are going forward. 
So what, what do you want them to know? Like how, how are things proceeding and what, what should they be on the lookout for? You know, I think I want women around the country to know that your treatment team in your region is planning and they'll get there. So um, don't be nervous, be patient, give them a call and say, you know, I heard that surgeries are moving forward. What's our plan? And then stick with your team, wait for it to be safe and do your surgery there. Um, I think it's really important for women to know that all of the same options that we offered before COVID for breast reconstruction are still going to be offered now. Dr. Sprint and I just did a surgery today that was one of the, you know, more advanced techniques in reconstruction where we did a, a, a deep flap and that was safe to do today. We thought a lot about it and we were able to do that safely. I just want women to be encouraged that there is a safe way to move forward and your team is working on that. I also think it's really important for women as they're planning to be their own best advocates. So I would encourage you to have open discussions with your team about how they're keeping you safe. I know that um, surgeons just like us around the country are taking lots of extra precautions and making lots of extra plans to keep our patients safe. And I think if you ask your treatment team what they're doing and they're able to share those things with you, that you'll feel even more comfortable and confident moving forward. Thank you. Dr. Sprunt, I want to ask you the same question, but I wondered if you could add in, what if a woman were scheduled for surgery, uh, breast cancer surgery, say a month ago, and it was recommended that say she have a large lumpectomy as opposed to a bilateral mastectomy. So how are you talking to your patients? What do you want people to know? Could, is, is it possible that that woman could then have her bilateral mastectomy now, or does she need to wait a little bit longer and heal from the larger lumpectomy? I think that the first question that needs to be addressed as far as that scenario goes would be, you know, what's changed in four weeks. So are there now enough resources to do bilateral mastectomies or not? And and so certainly if you're in New York City, you're probably not getting bilateral mastectomies with reconstruction. Now, it may be that as they are able to get better resources and have adequate PPE, that you are in an environment where you could move forward with bilateral mastectomies. And the timing of that, it really kind of depends on what incisions they made and, and what your efforts are there. But as far as, you know, if you had a big lumpectomy and going back to do a mastectomy, the timing of that, I mean, there's not really a window of time that it needs to be done sooner than later. Certainly, we would look at pathology and see kind of what we were dealing with. For example, if you had a lumpectomy and there were multiple involved margins, that's a higher priority to go back for a mastectomy than somebody who had negative margins. That being said, there still is a, you know, a, a reasonable time frame that you could safely wait to go back and do a mastectomy in the setting of a large lumpectomy. So unfortunately, what I'm doing, what most breast surgeons are doing around the country, and we are keeping lists of all of our patients and essentially triaging those patients based on the American Society of Breast Surgeons recommendations to say who are the people that we need to get into the operating room sooner than later 
and who are the people that we can, you know, safely delay. And so the American Society of Breast Surgeons gives a really thoughtful way to essentially score patients and and think about adding those people back to your schedule as your local resources allow. And I think, you know, there are some times where we will try to actually delay a take-back mastectomy, for example. So if you made an incision around the nipple and you really wanted to try to spare the nipple, you may give that, you know, four to six weeks for neovascularization to occur to be able to spare the nipple. But for the most part, I think a lot of the decisions that we're making as far as getting back to the operating room are, you know, assessing our local resources, making sure that we can safely operate on our patients, making sure that we can safely keep our operative team safe and making sure that we have adequate beds and resources to continue to take care of every person in your community, those with COVID and those who don't have COVID. And I think the most important thing people need to keep in mind during this time is that we as healthcare workers are doing the best we can to make sure that we take care of our patients in the best way possible. And we are trying to follow standard of care if we at all possibly can. If you are in a place where the standard of care isn't possible because of resources, then there are a lot of safe alternative options. And I think to Dr. Potter's point, you really need to communicate with your treatment team to best understand the resources that are available to them to help take care of you and to best understand why certain things are being done the way they're being done. Because it is on a very case-by-case basis. And, and that's where, fortunately, all of our societies have helped provide, you know, structure for us to hopefully safely, I mean, for us to safely triage patients. And really, it depends on what your local resources are. Right now, it's going to feel a lot different having surgery for breast cancer or seeing us in the office because instead of being able to see my smiling face coming in and saying, hey, we actually caught this really early, you're looking at a sterile mask and you're not able to bring your loved ones into the office or into the hospital. And we all hope to be able to improve that as vaccines and antibody testing and public health is able to do their thing. But until we can, please know that our we are smiling behind our mask and it's just going to look a little different for this next six months to a year. Yes. Thank you. I will say, I know I was talking to another oncologist and he said, I really miss hugging my patients. It's, it's, it's very hard, especially if you're somebody where that's your natural thing that, you know, is, you know, you're dealing with somebody, you've just maybe given them some bad news and you want to give them a hug and you can't, but it's very encouraging to hear that, you know, some surgeries are starting to go forward depending on the area. So I thank you both so much for joining us again. Thank you for having us. Truly. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.